May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be found acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. My great-grandfather, Joseph Bialy, was a wobbly, a member of the International Workers of the World, the IWW, one of the more radical union organizations of the early 20th century. Uh, the Wobblies were especially known for their singing, which I never knew until um, there was recently an article in the New York Times all about um, wobbly singing. And their most famous song, uh, which you may have heard of, is Solidarity Forever, which became a big anthem of the union movement um, throughout the 20th century, which was sung at all kinds of marches and sit-ins and strikes and actions, and is sung to the tune of the battle hymn of the Republic. And the chorus is, you know, Solidarity Forever. George is singing with me. Solidarity Forever, Solidarity Forever, for the union makes us strong, right? So you may have heard that. Or not, depending on your social location, I guess. Um, my great-grandfather's wobbly membership cost him his factory job in the late 40s as the Red Scare was heating up. This was an earlier, like a lot of people um, joining earlier in the 20th century, and then things changed. It didn't help that he was, you know, not only a member of the IWW, but he was also Ukrainian, Ukrainian immigrant. Um, and the IWW membership was literally a red card, so uh, that didn't help in those days. And it was costly for him. They were not, you know, they didn't have, losing that job had a lingering effect on his life and, and shortened his life. Uh, he didn't pass his radical politics on to anyone else in the family, and maybe the costliness of that was why. But I like to imagine him singing Solidarity Forever, um, which he probably didn't do in English. He probably did that in Ukrainian or Polish or Italian or Yiddish, all languages that he spoke. Um, he didn't really need English where he lived in central New Jersey, and so he never quite bothered to learn very much of it, but he was fluent in a number of other languages. Solidarity, at its root, is the idea that no one person is worth more than any other person. Each and every one of us has an inherent worth and dignity by virtue of our humanity and made in the image of God. Solidarity is expressed when the haves stand publicly with the have-nots and when those who are rich or who at least have enough for themselves stand up for those who are poor and insist that those people are entitled to have enough too. We might think of solidarity as a political value, which it is, more than a gospel value, but it's everywhere in the scriptures, which leads us to ponder, perhaps the scriptures are more political than we often imagine. In our reading from the letter to the Hebrews, we hear the instructions to let mutual love continue, to show hospitality to strangers, to remember those in prison and those being tortured as if you yourself were in prison with them or being tortured or suffering abuse yourself. Marriage relationships are to be honored by all 
and people are called to think of what they need, you know, sometimes it's called your enough point, how much do you really need, and not to seek after the acquisition of wealth, not to love money. This is one recipe for biblical solidarity, and of course, um, this text is not the only place we see this. It's all over the Hebrew scriptures and the New Testament. Our gospel reading from Luke might appear to be quite different since it is sort of all about angling about how to get the best place at the dinner table. Jesus is following this little snippet of Proverbs that we heard as our first lesson. Uh, He himself is at a dinner party and he gives this uh, parable, this advice to his guests who are all members of the religious establishment, the Pharisees. They're, They're clergy types, they're like me. And he says, one strategy, rather than elbowing your way to the best place that you can grab, is to seat yourself farther down the line, at the lowest place, and then, you know, the host may notice you there and and invite you um, to move up and you'll be honored. Rather than exalting yourself, you're allowing your host to exalt you. Which, at the end of the day, still seems to be about moving up, you know, how to move up to the highest place. Jesus is pretty sneaky as a teacher, though, so I sort of have been wondering about this, about is this really what it's about, what it seems to be about? And one of the things that I wonder is, if, this, if Jesus' first century dinner party guests were to test out this strategy in real life, what would happen? Would the host necessarily invite them up? For, like, what's the chance of that happening? If someone were to seek themselves lower, um, hosts of dinner parties are sort of distracted. It's a lot to host a lot of people. Maybe the host wouldn't notice that person farther down, or maybe he would have thought, well, that person wants to sit there, so that's their choice. In other words, what if the guest chose the lowest place and then got stuck there for the whole dinner and was never moved up by the host and was forced to chat with the poorest and the least deserving guests. I think Jesus would actually be fine with that outcome. (laughs) Perhaps the host that moves the guests to the place of honor is not the earthly host at all, but the heavenly one who invites us to the Eucharistic feast. Maybe the reward is is not at that that human uh, dinner table at all. Some of you here have been to Common Cathedral, the faith community for the unhoused and their friends that meets weekly on the Boston Common, uh, right by the Park Street Tea Stop for uh, a service of Holy Eucharist and then to share lunch together. Common Cathedral's model is not uh, that one group serves, you know, where the housed people serve the unhoused people, but there's food and everybody eats together, and it's a very simple meal, so there's not the need for a lot of serving. Um, And sometimes everyone's just eating standing up together um, on the Boston Common. It's one of the only places I've ever been where housed and unhoused people can just talk together uh, and share food and just learn about each other in a really informal way, sharing about each other's lives. And I think this is one way that gospel solidarity can really happen. Just creating that space for uh, housed and unhoused people to hear the scriptures together, 
to reflect on that together and then to eat together and to get to know each other. And then if you come back the next week, a lot of the same people are there and you'll get to know them better. We're at a political moment when the value of solidarity is being recovered once more in our society and when it's also being really contested in our society. We're reading about Amazon workers and Starbucks workers who are unionizing despite many obstacles. Uh, President Biden just a few days ago announced forgiveness of a portion of student loans for borrowers, which um, anyone who's on social media, perhaps your social media feed was blowing up with that. This week it's very contested among families, among groups of friends. Um, I think the best line about that, there's a evangelical Christian activist named Shane Claiborne, and he, he posted, um, if you're upset about President Biden forgiving the student loans, wait till you hear what Jesus did. <laughs> um, we pray the more formal Lord's Prayer that uses trespasses, forgive us our trespasses. Um, the Greek word is debt, forgive us our debts, as we forgive those. Um, as, you, as our debts are forgiven as well. Um, so there's this movement happening that's being contested right at this moment to recognize and to reclaim this American ideal that's never been truly realized, that no one person is worth any more than any other person, and that everyone deserves a fair shot and education fair working conditions. This ideal was both in our founding documents, but it was also limited, but it's always escaped. It's always escaped to become larger than what it is, and we've never realized it fully. Inherent in this is the idea that no one should be exploited for their labor or by predatory industries just because they are not a person of means or wealth. There's pushback now saying, Everybody is worth the same. There shouldn't be one system of education and funding your education for the haves and another for the have-nots. There shouldn't be one system of health care for the haves and another for the have-nots. And William Barber is a great minister uh, and civil rights activist of our time who's really urging Christian communities um, to look at this with his Poor People's Campaign, picking up Martin Luther King Jr.'s Poor People's Campaign that he was running at the end of his life. As followers of Jesus, we are to give charitably, we're to give alms to the poor, but Jesus also makes it plain that that's not actually enough. That's important, but it's not enough. We also need to stand in solidarity with those who are in last place in our society even when that requires us to give up our own privilege, our own seat. Jesus tells his dinner host that a much better guest list would have included the poor and those with physical disabilities. And then, as now, having significant physical disability often forces people into a life of poverty. That's still true in our world. That's not something that we have managed to um, move on from. So this week, let's each of us ponder, how can I stand in solidarity with the poor, the people who have less than I have? 
When in my life have I done this previously? How can I do more of it? What would it cost me to do this? What would I need to give up? What benefits or privileges? For the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. Where does that put us? Solidarity forever. In God's name, amen.